Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. From the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, with the coronavirus pandemic shutting down most local businesses and causing the cancellation of practically all of our local events. We've had to get a little bit creative and we've had to dip into our archives here. Luckily, uh, the show does go back to 2014, so we have those. And our guest this week is someone who is a favorite for many, many people in the Pittsburgh area. Chris Fenimore has been a popular figure on public television in Pittsburgh and throughout the country for many years. Since 1993, he has produced and hosted the series QED Cooks, which has won an Emmy Award and a James Beard Award along the way. He's also contributed to or edited more than 100 community cookbooks, part of WQED Television's America's Home Cooking Series, which is used all over the country. He is a frequent visitor to the Mon Valley. You can often find him at uh, some of the local restaurants or bakeries in the Mon Valley, which he has talked about and featured on his programs. He's also a frequent visitor to the Carnegie Library of McKeesport, where he has given several talks and he has been a honored guest at the Christie Park United Methodist Church during their Kids' Kitchen series when they teach neighborhood kids how to cook different ethnic and local favorites. Back in 2016, he was making one of his regular visits to McKeesport to talk at the Carnegie Library of McKeesport, and that's when we caught up with him. From March 25th, 2016, here's Chris Fenimore on Two Rivers, 30 Minutes. Well, the, the update is that uh, I've retired from that portion of my job. Oh. And uh, so now all that I do are the cooking shows, which is not a bad thing at all. That's not a bad thing at all either. Uh, Chris will be speaking at the Carnegie Library of McKeesport on April 16th at 5 o'clock. That is a Saturday. Uh, registration is suggested. Call 412-672-0625. First things first, I talked to uh, Mary Rose Bendel at the library uh, a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, you seem to love McKeesport. Is this true? You know, it is. Uh, I've done a couple of things for them. I did their holiday parade uh, now a couple of times. And the the, the spirit of that the neighborhood just reminds me of what things used to be uh, a little bit. They're, uh, I don't want to say they're backward. They're not. But they... they they exhibit that kind of uh, joyfulness and togetherness that you, you know, sometimes don't see in modern neighborhoods. Um, and so I just I love to be part of whatever they're doing. You, you've, uh, it, it strikes me that you've made pierogies with uh, people from McKeesport or Duquesne. I can't remember. Oh, well, you know, over the course of the years, we've, we've had lots of cooks who submitted and came uh, recipes and uh, who came on the show from, uh, from McKeesport and from uh, 
lots of neighborhoods around Pittsburgh, um, but they have shown their their ethnic connections in okay. ways that uh, that are fun to uh, to celebrate, and um, that's what we do a lot of on our show is to celebrate uh, the ethnic and and cultural diversity of our neighborhoods and of our communities. Well, let's showcase you a little bit uh, this morning, Chris Fenimore. Uh, you are not from Pittsburgh. You're from Brooklyn, am I correct? I'm a Brooklyn guy, yeah, born and raised. Okay, and when did you come to Pittsburgh? I came in 1985. I had been working at the public television station in uh, New York. Is that WNET? Yes. Okay. And um, I had a great time there, and was, and I was perking along, just doing my job. And an old friend of mine who I had worked with said to me, oh, you ought to move to uh, Pittsburgh. And I'm thinking, you got to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm in the Big Apple now. Why would I move? And uh, he says, come for a visit. And I came and it was absolutely the worst time in the world to come to Pittsburgh. It was like a February. February is the worst. It's the cruelest month. Let me tell you, <laughs> go back and check the weather. In February of 1985, it was about as bad as it gets. That gray ice was about three inches thick. It wasn't going to go away until April. Um, and uh, it was snowy and miserable and icy, and it was hard to get around, and you couldn't park your car near the curb because of all the ice flow there. And, um and yet, in the midst of all of that, it was really easy to see how much better off my family would be if we were living in Pittsburgh than uh, in in New York. Were you living? Uh, I'm going to roll this back here in a little bit. But are you? Were you living your family in right in Brooklyn or Manhattan or where? No, we lived in Brooklyn. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, so that was, you know, that's where I uh, um, we had an apartment there. I could never afford to own a house in New York, not on public television salaries. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we rented an apartment, and it was okay. But when I went to Pittsburgh, they said, "Well, you know, you you could afford to own a house, actually." And then I looked at the beautiful housing stock that there is here in Pittsburgh, and, and we did. We bought a house with a little backyard. I felt like Ozzie and Harriet, you know. It was, it's just like being in the suburbs. But I wasn't. I was like two miles from the office. I, I think you, you've touched on a couple of things, and there's, there's so much I want to ask you about. But, but one of the things you've touched on there is um, Brooklyn, I think if you're from Pittsburgh and you've never been to the five boroughs, Brooklyn is a big city in itself. It's a big city that's part of a big city, and Brooklyn, like Pittsburgh, has a bunch of different little neighborhoods and ethnic enclaves as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it, it is a city of approximately two million people, mm -hmm. so it's, you know, it's not insignificant. Yeah. Um, it's not just like a neighborhood of New York. It's, it was its own city, and it's got its own rhythms and everything going on there. Well, and even within the city, as you say, there are neighborhoods that are very diverse uh, from one to the other, and um, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so what kind, of what kind of neighborhood did you have growing up? Where did I you grow up? I grew up in, in a combination neighborhood. It was Italian and Irish. Okay. And I went to a school where all of the nuns and the priests were Irish. It was Father Dunn and Father Burns and Father Monsignor Sweeney. And um, and so I came home and when my mother says, you know, what will you learn? I said, I learned the, the Lord's Prayer. And she said, well, how does it go? And I said, Our Father. <laughs> <laughs> It was really Irish, Irish, um, and a lot of my f friends were really Irish, uh, but also a lot of my friends were really Italian. Now, the Irish kids, their job was to find a way to get into your house on Sunday so that they could, <laughs> they could have the kind of food that they didn't get at home. 
Sure. And um, and so we 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 shared a lot. Uh, you know, I was in Cub Scouts and I got to know all of these uh, different kids from from different parts of our neighborhood. So even within a neighborhood that you would say was a defined neighborhood, there was still a lot of uh, differences. Um, that we celebrated. We there was a lot of kidding around, I think, um, but um, mostly good-natured, and that we really did enjoy our differences more than we made fun of them. What might uh, were, were you, was your family Italian then? Oh yeah. Okay, I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if Irish or Italian. I wasn't sure. I tell people we're we're half we're half Italian and half Sicilian, <laughs> <laughs> and the Sicilians get that, and so do the Italians. Uh, my grandmother's family was from Palermo in in Sicily. Okay. And my father's family was from near Salerno. Um, but we, as I, we mostly had that Sicilian influence. All my grandmother's sisters lived nearby. Her father lived nearby. So my great grandfather was uh, was the patriarch of that group, and um, so we were blessed with that. What might one of those Sunday dinners include? Yeah, Sunday. My grandmother was the oldest of eight sisters, and so. That meant that Sunday dinner was held at her house. Okay, and that and we lived in my grandmother's house, so we became the kitchen help. All of my brothers and sisters, <laughs> we're five brothers and sisters. At, at various stages, we would be called upon to do different of the kitchen chores, um, and then you would, you know, you would share it in these wonderful Sunday feasts. Well, the Sunday dinners, and this is the thing that always drove people who came to visit us crazy. They, we would sit down and they would serve an antipasta, mm-hmm. which was uh, cold cuts and uh, salads, um, lots of uh, olives and cheeses and bread. And they put out this big thing, roasted red peppers and just bowls and bowls of different things. And they would just chow down. They would have all of this stuff. And they would say, well, that was an amazing dinner. And they go, no, 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 no. That was just the antipasto. <laughs> and then they would serve the pasta, which would be either you know ziti or manigotti or stuffed shells or you know some kind of pasta with meatballs and sausage or spare ribs. My oh, okay. Graham used to cook spare ribs in the tomato sauce. Oh my goodness. I my mouth starts to water. I was just going to say people would be hungry already. My goodness, it was amazing. So and, and was Brooklyn a place where they they call it red gravy as opposed to uh, tomato sauce? You know, we called it the sauce. Okay, I, I know that there's this gravy sauce thing, but it, we thought of it as the Sunday sauce. Okay, um, and then so my friends would come and they would eat that and they would go, "Oh my God, how you do this? How do you eat this?" All you know, and then we would go, "Well, that's not it. That's just the pasta. Now comes the dinner." <laughs> and then they would bring out chicken and uh, uh, asparagus and you know potato casserole and you name it and green beans and mush stuffed mushrooms and those kinds of side dishes and then they would uh, we always had something from a pasticceria some kind of uh, sure. cannolis or sfogliatelle or just cookies the pignoli cookies were our favorites and those were usually brought by my grandmother's sister who ate with us also, you know, that was our regular Sunday meal, and people couldn't get over it that, that they did this. Now, 
I have to say there was there was method to their madness. Uh, they cooked way more food. They prepared way more food than anybody should eat in one day. <laughs> and what it meant was the rest of their week yeah. was uh, um, much easier because they would turn those leftovers into additional meals. Yep, lunch, dinner, whatever you needed. Let's pause there, too, and that will give people a chance to get up and go get a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> because they're probably hungry at this point. We're talking with Chris Fenimore. Uh, you know him from Channel 13 and QED Cooks. He's going to be at the Carnegie Library of McKeesport. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monument, Strifflers also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at strifflers.com or call 412-678-6191. From March 25, 2016, you're listening to an encore presentation of our interview with Chris Fenimore here on Two Rivers 30 Minutes. And we're back with Chris Fenimore here on Radio 81 WEDO, 1550 WZUM, WMCK.FM, and Tube City Online. When we took the break, you were making everybody hungry by describing uh, uh, a, a typical uh, Brooklyn Sunday night meal uh, growing up uh, Italian. Um, when did you start to get old enough to kind of explore not just the other parts of Brooklyn, but the other parts of New York? Because that's a, what, what, one of the amazing food towns, I have to imagine, in the world. Well, here's the thing. I, I would never let a kid do this now, but by the time I was mm, 11 or 12, I wasn't even out of grammar school yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was taking the subway into New York, Okay, into the city. Um, we thought nothing of it. I would say to my mom, I said, I'm going to, you know, New York. And uh, we would go to Radio City Music Hall to, to go and, and watch a, a movie because for uh-huh. 60 cents you could watch a movie and watch the Rockettes, which uh, for a 12-year-old boy was quite a thrill. <laughs> sure. And, <laughs> and they had an orchestra and a, an organ player. It was, it was magnificent. It was, it was just great. Um, now I think I would be a little bit uh, apprehensive about uh, letting a kid go in and that, you know, in the environment that's there now. What uh, what was your food uh, tasting experiences when you were on these little junkets? Well, I would always, um, I loved the, the street vendors. Mm-hmm. Get a dirty water dog. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then I would take the train on the way back and stop in Chinatown. Oh, okay. And, and eat what we would never have at home because my mother didn't make uh, Asian food. And I loved it. I found that I loved it. And... Um, so that that was that was a big hit, and of course pizza, New York pizza, yeah. is a, a thing unto itself. My mother made pizza every Friday night without fail. It was you could tell what was for dinner because she had run out of leftovers. Sure, <laughs> and so we would have pizza, but it wasn't New York pizza. It was like Sicilian pizza, and we wanted New York pizza. The crust uh, a little bit thicker then, or yeah, mom's crust was thick and and it was uh, airy and. Uh-huh. Uh, it was nice and crunchy on the bottom and, you know, nice sauce and fresh mozzarella. And, and it was a delicious thing, but we wanted that New York experience, this, the pie cut. Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, whenever we were out and about, that was one of the things that we ate. I also found a lot of other little ethnic neighborhoods that that are, were in and around New York, like you'd go up on 50. 
23rd Street, I think it was, over on the east side, and there was a row of Brazilian restaurants. Huh, okay. And you could uh, go in there and, and uh, have some Brazilian food. Uh, like the lunch special uh, was feijoada, which is a like a, a poor man's stew with different cuts of meat and beans, and, and um, I, I liked that. Um, there was a great Japanese restaurant that we would go to. Did boys help in the in the kitchen? Well, um, growing up, it was my younger brothers were are much younger than I am. Okay, ten and twelve years younger than I am. Okay, by the time they were old enough to work in the kitchen, um, I was already in college okay. from the house. However, they've both grown up to be fabulous cooks. Okay. Did they take it up as a profession, or no? Okay. The the, the uh, just as because they like to eat, I think, and they, they so they replicate a lot of the dishes that my mother and grandmother made, and then they've become pretty good cooks in their own right. My one brother Joe is a chili hound, <laughs> best chili in uh, in the on the East Coast here, um, and uh, then my other brother Chuck lives down in North Carolina, and he's become a grill master. He's, okay, he's making that southern. Barbecue. Style barbecue. Yeah. Chris Chris Fentonmore is our guest this morning. He's going to be at the Carnegie Library of McKeesport on Saturday, April 16th at 5 o'clock. They are suggesting registration in advance. Are you, are you a little bit of a rock star? Because my grandmother watched you religiously. Well, uh, my she wife just loved you. Uh, that I'm really popular among women over 80. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> no, you're popular among my wife, too. You're, you're popular among a lot of people that I know, even people who don't go into the kitchen except to boil water, um, enjoy watching you. Uh, well, here's a funny thing. The most frequent question that I get asked is, how can I get on your show? Okay. And I usually begin to explain that you have to send in a recipe, and then I will you know, select them, and they go, no, 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 you don't understand. We just want to come on and eat. <laughs> they don't want to cook. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, um, doesn't work that way, huh? Doesn't work that way. Okay. No, you, you've got to, um, you've got to send in a recipe, and then most of the food that we have is consumed very quickly uh, by the volunteers that we have come on the show, and um, and are generous enough to give their time and energy to uh, collecting the pledges from people who call in. One of the things I enjoy talking to people about on this show is sort of their career path. How, what, what was your career path then from kid growing up in Brooklyn to uh, being on, on public television? Really strange. Okay. Um, I was only the second person in my whole family to ever go to college, and I, and I went. Where'd you go? I went to Fordham. Okay. Um, my Good school. sister Pat had gone to Fordham, and so she was the first one in our family to go to college. And... Uh, and we didn't know what to expect. Uh, one of the first day I went to college, and they said to me, "Well, what's your major?" And I I thought it was a trick question. I didn't know what that meant even. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so they said, "Well, what are you most interested in? What did you do well in in high school?" Oh, yeah, no, I'm good at math. So they made me a math major, okay, which lasted about one semester because <laughs> there were people who just loved math, and I was okay at it, but uh -huh. I didn't love it. And they're doing double quadratic equations, and I'm, you know, I'm lost, totally lost. So I switched to creative writing as a major. Okay. And, and then I got into, I thought I was going to be a filmmaker. Okay. Um, studied film and uh, then was waiting to do some graduate work and um, answered a, uh, an ad down in the, you know, 
campus center, yeah. uh, student center uh, for a volunteer to work at WQED. Uh, WNET. WNET Channel 13. The other Channel 13. Yes, the other Channel 13. Uh-huh. So I, I thought, well, this would be interesting. Maybe they have some film people there I could meet and talk to. And so I volunteered to go. And okay. I fell in love with the place. I fell in love with everybody there and what they were doing. And the whole concept of public television was really in its early um, stage of growth. Uh, public television has, had been around since 1954. The first station was actually WQED in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, so this was, you know, approximately 1968, um, 1969. And I, uh, I just, uh, I, I knew that's where I wanted to work, what I wanted to do. I wanted to work on those programs that they were uh, developing and producing. And I just made a pest of myself until they hired me. <laughs> I literally started by going for coffee for people yeah. and going running to the library to get books. This is pre-internet, yep. if everybody would remember, try to remember what that's like, uh, where you actually have to go and do research in a library and collect magazine articles and, and whatnot. And yeah. It, the Reader's Guide to Periodical Literature. Oh, ah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, but I loved it, and every, and I saw how they would take ideas and develop them and figure out ways to share those ideas with a large audience. And, um, and I worked for everything that you can imagine from research and writing to grant proposals to project management to, um, and I, people were very generous and, 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 uh, I sort of, stuck with it until I ended up as the director of national programming. Chris Fenimore is our guest this morning. He is answering your questions, and, and probably uh, one of those questions is going to be, well, how do I get on your show? We have one last 60-second break. Uh, we're pushing the clock here a little bit. When we come back, um, Pittsburgh is getting this reputation all of a sudden as a foodie town. And when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit about that, if that's okay, Chris. Oh, yeah. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Stay tuned. Are you concerned about the coronavirus? Of course you are. We all are. But if you go to the Allegheny County website at AlleghenyCounty.us, you'll find all kinds of information, such as how you can protect yourself, what are some preventive actions you can take to prevent the spread, and if you're sick, how to keep from spreading the virus to others. To find the answers to these and more, go to www.AlleghenyCounty.us. You're listening to Two Rivers, 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media, Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. And we're back for a final few minutes with our guest this morning, Chris Fenimore. When we took the break, you were telling me about how you got into television. I, I wanted to jump a little around a little bit and ask you, Pittsburgh is getting this reputation as a foodie town. Um, you have it probably seen the same articles. Thought, you know that that would happen. What, what's driving it, do you think? Well, I'm, I'm not sure how it even got started because Pittsburgh was a very predictable kind of place. When I got here in 1985, you know, they were putting french fries on their sandwiches mm-hmm. and, and uh, everybody would go to a pierogi festival and that was about it now you're having craft brew uh festivals you know where where uh there are so many breweries uh, you know uh, in the city and yeah. they all they all have food associated with yeah. them they're making their own whiskey here in in pittsburgh and again they're pairing foods with that you have restaurants that are doing sous vide cooking <laughs> you know I mean, it's crazy. And they've attracted a young 
ambitious group of young culinarians okay. uh, to come in here because it is a place where the dream of a young chef can actually be realized. Um, it would be nearly impossible for young people uh, who had an idea about a new kind of restaurant, a new kind of cuisine, to just jump into New York City and open a place because the rents are the exorbitant, rents are crazy yeah. in this. So, um, and there were also there were a couple of places here in Pittsburgh where young chefs could come and work and get a tremendous experience. If you talk to this whole group of young chefs, you'd be surprised how many of them came here and ended up working at least part-time for the Big Burrito Group, uh-huh. which was Casbah and uh, Mad Max and, 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 and a bunch of Kaya. And, um, and there's also, there, was a, there is a chef here, Tony Pies, who had a variety of different restaurants, and he's had dozens of young chefs come through his kitchen and make their bones, as they say. Yeah. Um, but he was willing to be a mentor and a teacher to them. And we also had some very good uh, culinary schools here. We had the Pittsburgh Culinary Institute downtown, which became the Cordon Bleu. It's unfortunately is closed now. We have the Art Institute of Pittsburgh International Culinary Program. And we have even the uh, community college programs yep. here are excellent. And so you had a lot of the young people who are seeing that culinary could be a career. I, I'm thinking about the the wealth of uh, little ethnic bakeries that we have around here, and including in, in McKeesport, we have two. One that's been there for almost 90 years, I think, and the other one that is relatively new. You use the word pastacheria, and that's what it's called. Um, the the ethnic butcher shops. Uh, I'm thinking about all of the uh, Italian restaurants, most of which are, are kind of northern Italian cuisine. But you know, I, I'm I'm wondering if that's a, a, a function of it too. That there's this this uh, to use a cliche, melting pot uh, of all these different uh, ethnic and cultural influences coming in too, and now people coming up from the south and, and bringing barbecue and stuff with them. Yeah, I mean, it's if people. Uh, we just got through Lent here and fish fries on on Fridays. You know, you can't swing a, a swing of fish without hitting a fish fry. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, they're blessed in McKeesport with some of the most delicious, authentic food uh, anywhere uh, in the whole city that I've run into. Um, there's that Minerva's Bakery. Yep. I'm sure everybody's familiar with mm-hmm. that place. Uh, that should have a plaque out front from the <laughs> Smithsonian Institute saying, this is what bakeries were. Um, because they're, they're amazingly authentic in not just the food that they prepare, but in the way that they serve you and the everything mm-hmm. about it. They still got the string coming down from the ceiling that they wrap the boxes in. Yep. It's a little piece of history. But your colleague Rick Sebeck has hunted out some of these places, and, and, and our, you know, our focus is on the Mon Valley, and of course, we're just about out of time here, obviously, just as we get rolling, we're out of time. Um, <laughs> but, but your colleague Rick Sebeck has hunted out some places, too, in Beaver Falls and Ambridge and, and Greek places and Italian places and Polish places and, and that, are, that are making you know, sausage the way that it was made 100 years ago or sauce the way it was made 100 years ago. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that helps the, the foodie reputation of this town. Well, I think it does. Um, um, but more than anything right now, you have, uh, as I said, these young people who want who are to, taking a flyer on it. to do just, you know, variations on those themes. Yeah. Um, and and the people here are gracious and, and accepting of it. We also have enough new young people uh, to sustain a lot of these new young places. Uh, I'm glad that we still have the old ones. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I still want to be able to go and get 
authentic pierogies and authentic Italian uh, Italian American food. Let me put you on the spot and let me ask you this: If you, if you, and I'm sure you do, have visitors come to town and you want to take them out for for a meal, where are? It doesn't have to be your top place, but maybe two or three places you would take them for. Oh, that's really a tough one, you know, because there are. I don't want to get you in trouble. Different things, and yeah. Um, but I, I have, I have to, I have a new favorite place, yeah. um, and that is Chaz and Odette. Okay. Um, and those were two uh, folks. One was a teacher, and the other one was a student at the Art Institute of uh, Pittsburgh, and they have opened up a restaurant together. And where is that at? It's on Baum Boulevard in, uh, I guess, the Shady Side area. Okay. Never quite know what neighborhood they are, um, and. Uh, I, I went there recently, and just I love what they're doing with their cuisine. It is ethnic-based, so that they uh, go back into traditions, but they put little twists on it that are really interesting and nice of their own. Chris, a very comfortable place to go. Chris Fenimore has been our guest. Chris, do you have a website or a Twitter account or anything for people to follow? Well, that, they're more than welcome to come to the Facebook page that we have. It's called QED Cooks. QED Cooks on Facebook is Chris Fenimore. Chris, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. Oh, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. And from March 25th, 2016, that's our interview with Chris Fenimore a frequent visitor to the Mon Valley, and we hope once the coronavirus pandemic has subsided, we will be seeing him here again soon. From the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport, you've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes. Thanks for listening. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.